But he did say to me fairly early on when I arrived there, you do know this is the best job you will ever have. I'm excited to introduce Richard Bartram, Vice President of Marketing Communications for the brand we all know and love, WestJet. WestJet launched in 1996 with just three aircraft and five destinations, and soon became the second largest Canadian airline. Now with a fleet of over 150 aircraft, WestJet provides flights to more than 100 different destinations around the world, operating an average of 700 flights and carrying over 66,000 passengers per day. And Richard has been along for much of that growth. Over the last 16 years, Richard has been an integral part of the Christmas Miracle Campaigns, expansion of WestJet into a global brand, the introduction of the 787 Dreamliner, and the growth of the WestJet Rewards Program, all the while maintaining a culture of care and fun for the WestJet community. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you. And as, I'm, as you're reading that, I'm, I'm looking down, I'm looking at the age spots on my hand. The, uh, so showing, yeah, I've been there 16 years and uh, starting to have some of the, uh, the spots to, to prove it. I just did a, big, a brief intro there, but what could someone not find out about you just simply by Googling you? It's funny because I've been, yeah, in the, in the airline business now for 16 plus years and yet had no airline experience. So was quite fortunate to luck into the, to the gig that I, that I have right now. But born and raised Montreal, went to school in Ontario, came back to work in Montreal, was bartending to pay for school. And was offered a job from a guy walking off the street uh, who said, you know, show me a good time. And I said, fine, show me a credit card. And so the next day he came in and it's, this goes back to the days when you actually had to go in and pick up, physically pick up your paycheck. And I was picking up a paycheck and this guy was there and he said, hey, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun last night. You said you have a university degree. Are you uh, looking for work? And I said, well, I am. Yeah. And so anyway, we got to talking and that's how I um, started with Unilever and ended up spending 13 years with them. And in Montreal, then Halifax, Calgary, Toronto, and then ultimately back in Calgary now. But your background though, like I believe you went to Western yep. and got a political science degree. Certainly, it's been my experience that perspective becomes one of the biggest words that I have found over the course of my career where maybe not having the specific experience that somebody's looking for, but can you bring a perspective based on your experience that adds to the, uh, to the role? And that's, uh, and that's where I've been terrifically lucky and, uh, and somewhat successful. At what point did you make the transition from kind of traditional sales marketing to landing the gig at WestJet? My boss at Unilever came into my office and said, I think it's time for you to leave. And having <laughs> never been fired, I thought, okay, so this is how it works. And, uh, and so that was my first question. Am I being fired? And he said, no, but the company's changing. And there's, it had been, you know, when it was just Lever Brothers, it was a small, intimate family. And now it was, it had always been part of Unilever, obviously, but they were looking to gain efficiencies in the way that they were running the business. And so it was bringing all the disparate um, uh, Unilever properties together. And he said, and it's a changing company. And he said, I'm leaving as well. So I just wanted to let you know I'm leaving. And I think it's probably best for your career if you were to leave. Wow. And so I was, uh, I was gone six months later. And ended up in television, in uh, television marketing. So, so he recommended to you that you also quit your job yeah. and go to a different just because the company's changing. Yeah, and just said if you know the the pretty uh, bold. It's, yeah, pretty bold, pretty bold of him. Um, he was was and even after that point was mm -hmm. a was a terrific mentor for me because that was the nudge. Um, that I needed to recognize that, you know, you're terrifically comfortable with what you're doing and you enjoy it. Um, but do you get too comfortable? And so I think he saw in me the opportunity to do more, to do different. And he was certainly embarking on that himself. 
And so one of his parting recommendations out the door was, I would suggest you do the same thing. He ended up being president of Taxi, which was the advertising agency that we were using at Astral for the movie mm-hmm. network, also happened to be the advertising agency for WestJet. And so I went and had breakfast for, with him and said, you know, I'm thinking about moving out West. We're talking about moving back out West. I'm intrigued by, by WestJet and I know they're a, a client of yours. Do you think they're looking? And he said, well, funny you should ask, they had a role. And so this is where it gets truly serendipitous because he said they had a director of brand and communications out there. I didn't see it. And it closed yesterday. But if you like leave now, go back to the office, email me your resume and I'll throw it in and let's see what happens. And so two weeks later, I was interviewing a phone interview and then flew out for the day. And it was one of those WestJet brand moments because now I'm doing as much reading and finding out everything I can about them and they're fun Mm -hmm. and they're irreverent. And so it's five in the morning and I'm in Toronto getting dressed to get on the plane and I'm standing in front of the mirror and I've got a tie and I'm holding it up in front of me and putting it on and off and on and off and finally decided to go with the tie and said, well, it's easier to take off if I have it than to not have it with me. So I wore it, flew out. And then the first thing they said when I got into the interview room was what's with the tie. And then they started looking for a pair of scissors to cut it off and couldn't find any. So I got to keep the, I got to keep the tie. And and you got the job. And I got, well, and then, yeah. And then sure enough, got the job. And then that goes back to um, perspective as well, because I, at the time, if you look at the qualifications that I had and then what they were looking for, it wasn't a 100% fit. But I did say, let me give you a perspective that I think is missing within this organization. You are now a national airline. To the best of my knowledge, there isn't anybody on this marketing team that was born east of Manitoba. Um, You don't have anybody that actually speaks French. You don't have anybody from Quebec. You don't have that perspective of the rest of this country, which is something I I bring to the table. And if you're going to be this national airline, you actually need somebody that's got a a bit of a broader understanding of of the country. And so... Um, they fell for it. So talk about the power of relationships there. Your mentor tells you to leave your job. You listen to him, you you take his advice. And then that same mentor, Rob, then goes and kind of helps you get this job. And it's been 16 years. And and I think this is something that I see a lot is, you know, you don't really see people staying in careers for that long anymore. People really hop around. Even right now, people are talking about the the great resignation. When you got to WestJet, did you see this as something that you're like, I'm going to be here for a long time? Or is it something that just, you know, every, you know, every year you're like, wow, like this keeps getting better and better. When I got to, to WestJet, it was the, the growth trajectory that that airline, uh, our airline was on, will be on again post-pandemic was exhilarating. So the people were terrific fun. The the growth that we were seeing, you know, when I started, we were, so this would have been summer of 2005. We were 45 aircraft, I think, in the fleet. We would be 180 today. And so the excitement of adding new destinations, destinations within Canada, then starting to make a a bigger play into the United States and then looking at some of the stuff into Mexico, into the Caribbean, and then into Europe, and then new aircraft type. And so Every day coming to work, there was something new and exciting that we were working on. And I do remember, you know, you speak of mentors, the guy who hired me at WestJet back in 2005, he recognized, I think, in me that I could bring some some fun to the brand. And he and I had a lot of fun times together. But he did say to me fairly early on when I arrived there, you do know this is the best job you will ever have. (laughs) And absolutely. I said, don't I know it? And, and I've seen some of your work, Richard, like if you, and for any listeners, go on, on YouTube and look at some of WestJet's content and some of the stuff that you're doing. I mean, you, you truly have mastered communications and marketing. And I know you probably won't admit it because you seem like the type of person who's always working on their craft. But I, I want to go back actually, because you talked about the resident historian. 
most businesses are difficult to get off the ground in the early days. Can, can you share any stories about the early days and what it was like getting an, uh, this is going to sound terrible, but getting an airline off the ground? In 1996, when we started, it was mm-hmm. three planes serving five cities in Western Canada, 200 employees. You're looking at a 737 that's going to be anywhere from 70 to $90 million per aircraft. And we have, uh, you know, we have 110, 112 of those now in the, in, in the fleet. And these are bets that you are making based on what you know right now. So you are uh, hoping that the market's going to continue to grow. What was great about the early days, and it's the, the, the attitude is still there, is that can-do attitude of you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and, and help out where you can. You know, in the early days, the idea of... Uh, everybody cleans the aircraft. So when we land somewhere at a particular destination, um, you'll see, and it looks a little bit like prairie dogs, where as our guests are actually deplaning, um, we actually, you will see employees cleaning the plane. And so those are people who are flying standby or some of the crew who operated, um, they're cleaning the plane so that by the time the last guest gets off, we're ready to board. And so that allowed us to get a better utilization out of the plane because a plane sitting on the ground on the ground is not making money. Yeah, you're not waiting and for cleaners to come in. Exactly. And-, and if you can shave 20 minutes here and 20 minutes there over the course of a day, that adds up to probably one more flight that you could get out of that aircraft. And so there really was this, this, the, the, the empowerment to say, I've got an idea or I'm going to go do something um, that's going to be for the betterment of the, of the airline. So there was very much this can-do attitude, the idea of being the underdog and being able, when you go back to 1996, you had um, Air Canada and Canadian Airlines fighting amongst themselves and going for market share and toe-to-toe into a lot of these, uh, lot of these markets for WestJet to be able to kind of tiptoe in and nobody paid attention in the first few years and, uh, and we were off and running. When I think about the history of WestJet, it's, you know, Western Canadian brand, then a Canadian brand, but then a global brand now. Can you share any of the, of the challenges that you and the team went through having to mature the brand. If you follow along the age of the airline, it kind of follows along the age of a, of a human being. So when we were 10 years old, we were that fun and friendly airline with kind of the personality of a 10-year-old. There was a bit of a reverence, a bit offside in some of the things that we might do. And then you recognize that as you are now maturing and you're now approaching 20 years old and we're 25 years old this year, you're personality doesn't necessarily change. The expression of that personality changes. So even when we started Mm. back in 1996, the idea was we were going to grow the market. The idea was that either we were going to get people who were on the bus to get on a plane or were in a car to get on the plane, or those people who weren't going anywhere to get off the couch and get on a plane. So the pricing was dramatic. So at that point, you couldn't buy a one-way ticket, at least not um, cost-effectively. A a return ticket Calgary to Vancouver would have been about 800 bucks. We were selling one-way Calgary to Vancouver for $59. We were the first airline to bring low-cost carrier flyings, and that was explosive because all of a sudden people recognized, wait a minute, I can actually afford to fly from here to there. I can afford to fly home for Thanksgiving. And so we did grow the market. We grew the market organically ourselves, and then also recognizing that you had airlines now trying to price match us, that also then grew the market. So once we had that market, we then had the leisure traveler. So as we started to fly into the Caribbean, started to fly into Mexico, it really became almost priming the pump that you would send out enough Canadians to these uh, sun destinations. And then there would be enough of them out, out there that as they started to return, you now have the plane full going in both directions. But then as we started to look at, uh, at flying to Europe, now this is, if you aren't filling the plane equally, both sides at the same time, you're cooked. Uh, we had always largely 
advertise to Canadians to say, hey, we're the airline for you because we're going to be friendly. We're actually going to care more mm-hmm. um, than the competition. The pricing is going to be better and we've got a terrific product for you. But now we've had to target uh, people in other countries to say, hey, you know what? You may never have heard of this airline, but if you're coming to Canada and fly with us. I think a lot of brands actually, as they mature, they realize, hey, we need to appeal to different people and they get into almost like an identity crisis where they're trying to reach new customers and then they're, but their current customers are asking for better versions of the same thing, perhaps. Yeah. How, how have you guys done that? It's a great question because it's been this existential, I won't call it a crisis, but this existential question for us for, for a long time. Because if you think back to the early days of WestJet, and this, of course, uh, predates any seatback television or WestJet Connect, which would allow you to connect to the internet in the sky or watch movies on your device, none of those pieces existed. So, it was, and it was very much about getting people off the couch or off, out of the car and into a plane. And so that fun and friendly approach presented itself as toilet paper races. So you go back to the early day, we would actually have, you know, you've got the left side of the air, airplane and the right side of the airplane. We would hand a roll of toilet paper to either side and they would hold on to the first sheet in the roll and then pass the roll over their head all the way to the back. And of course, everyone can hear my shirt moving as I'm, I'm showing that um, that toilet paper roll is now going all the way to the back of the plane and which side could, could get to the back of the plane first, left or right. So if you think about that today, that just seems juvenile is unfair, but, it, but, it's a, but it's, that's who we were as a two or three year old brand. And so it was you would do those sorts of fun things. Things. And we became um, renowned for our jokes and we became renowned for um, our cabin crew members, our flight attendants singing. And so, you know, you would, you would land in a particular uh, a city and they'd say, well, we've got a couple of minutes before we taxi into the gate. I thought I would serenade you. And they would sing. There was a, they would, they, the, the theme to um, Barney, the, the, the dinosaur. And they would sing that and change the words, you know, I love you, you love me, marry me and you'll fly for free. Um, And so you had those sorts of things, which for the brand at the time made perfect sense. But now as we expanded and we started to target other consumers, because there's only so many people in Canada that you can target that are going to want to do that type of flying, we're going to need to go after different travelers. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to look at, you know, now in the back of my mind, I'm getting into our segmentation study. Now we're recognizing that there is a business traveler out there and, and he or she flies multiple times a year, typically will pay a premium for a seat Mm -hmm. um, or a particular flight and is looking for an entirely different set of experiences and products and services um, than the the other segment might be looking for. So recognizing that if this is now a 7 a.m. flight to uh, from Calgary to Vancouver to Toronto, using jokes, um, it it might not be the approach that we want to take. And so we've had to We've had to evolve some of the thinking around the uh, around the brand and how we present ourselves, and we've had to take our people along for the ride to say, you know, we're probably not going to do jokes anymore, or uh, you know, we're going to stop the singing because it's 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 a challenge, right? Because some people yeah. were terrific at it, and some people were not terrific yeah, at I, it. I would be one of the ones that are not good at it. Well, this is it, and so it's um, and yet you know, in the early days, we had some fun, fun times, and then realizing that, and that, that's why I think for me, it's the expression, the personality doesn't necessarily change the expression of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hopefully don't act like a twelve-year-old that often, but I would say that I still have yeah. the same personality. So, so the brand isn't about singing. The brand is about fun, and then 
but you can still have fun in business class, correct? Yeah, you, absolutely. And and then also recognizing, you know, we, we had some fun early on and um, the pandemic's put a bit of a dent in that right now, but we started early on with uh, April Fool's jokes. So this is now off the aircraft, but you can have a lot of fun just seeing if you can get people to, to buy into an April Fool's joke. And so you can be this evolving brand that is becoming more mature, but still, you know, and you mentioned at the outset, um, the Christmas miracle, you can still have a lot of fun telling those types of stories to demonstrate the care of the brand and that the the airline that you are going to fly with is going to hustle a bit more than the competition. Well, and it's that culture of fun that you guys have created that I find really interesting because you're in an incredibly regulated industry, but you've been able to infuse fun. And I know that one of the challenges that I've always struggled with is how do you balance fun with high performance? No, I think probably if you were to be on the outside looking in, which is what we're doing right now, there's probably less of the fun now than there was. And, and it's, and maybe that's the expression of it. And I think the, what's, what's been the winner for us day in, day out, because if, if you take a, if you do take a step back at the end of the day, it is an aluminum cylinder that flies at 40,000 feet. And the competition has an aluminum cylinder that flies at 40,000 feet. And mm-hmm. we both do whatever the number is, all the pilots will correct me, but let's say they all do 400, 500 miles an hour ground speed. And then we land in the same city that everybody else lands at and land taxi into the same airport. And then largely the pricing, the competition matches us so quickly, the pricing is largely the same. So mm-hmm. all of those pieces become the, the, the all things are equal. Yeah. The difference for us becomes the people. And so where we have been fortunate is the fun comes from the people and hiring for those sorts of people who recognize Here's the job. The expression of you within that job is what is what we're looking for. And so have some fun with that, recognizing there's some um, standard operating procedures we we need you to follow, certainly from a safety and from a transport perspective. But then around the edges, the that the the fun piece, the 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 charm that you as an individual will bring to the role is important. I, I would say the the first word that we would well, it's not. I think this is the first word that we would use from a brand perspective, and that would be around care. It's an incredibly intimate word. Um, and it's a bit of a challenge sometimes because it is so intimate. You know, you'll sometimes if somebody doesn't get the customer experience or the guest experience they're expecting, mm-hmm. you know, they'll throw back at us. Well, you you clearly don't care. And and sometimes you know we will um, we, we, the care will express itself differently than you might like it to. And so we care enough that we're, we we um, we are going to cancel this flight in the name of safety, or we're going to have to make a decision that that may not be what you are that you're looking for. But from a communications perspective, from a brand perspective, we're going to be honest, we're going to be transparent, we're going to be forthright, that all is rooted in care. And then the expression of a uh, engaging personality is going to be important for us. I feel like a lot of our listeners have experienced flying on a plane and probably experienced something that didn't go as planned, whether it's delay. And I find it hilarious, even as myself, even if I'm, if like it's canceled or I'm, if I arrive and had to sit on the tarmac for maybe a half an hour, an hour longer, but I'm forgetting that the fact that I just flew through the air like a bird and traveled across a continent and arrived on the other side safely, that's pretty incredible. And the amount of trust that I have to put in the people to allow me to go from A to B safely, but that communication of the care. I guess what, what advice would you have for, for other brands when things maybe don't go as planned and 
you are having to adjust and, and tell and, and maybe even communicate some disappointment to the customer. Yeah, I think a great example of that would probably be the Boeing Max um, aircraft. And so this is the latest version of the 737 um, that Boeing had manufactured and they had made originally uh, what was called the Boeing Classic and then the Boeing Next Generation. And then they introduced in 2017 the Boeing Max. And uh, unfortunately, there were two crashes that were that ultimately resulted in the worldwide grounding of the MAX and then recognizing that at some point these aircraft are going to come back and fly once again. And so the how CARE showed up for us was the marketing team, the communications team involved with a bunch of other teams. So there would have been a, an awful lot of departments involved in this at WestJet. How do we um, demonstrate to the traveling, to two audiences, the traveling public who are going to at some point get on the max that it is safe to do so. Mm -hmm. um, and just as importantly, um, communicate to our own people that you um, are going to be working on this aircraft. And do you have the, the confidence and the trust in the aircraft? And so the work that we did to build out the communication plan to convince not only the, the traveling public, as I said, but our own people to, to have confidence in the aircraft the, the care that the, that went into telling that story, I would, you know, we've seen a lot of the work that's been done by other airlines around the world. And I would put forward the work that our team did as best in class globally in terms of reassuring people that this is a safe aircraft for you to get on. So we started early on with a, a video series called Beyond the Aircraft. And it mm. introduced um, a pilot, introduced a flight attendant, and introduced a, or a, a cabin crew member, and introduced one of our aircraft maintenance engineers and getting the, the public at large to understand these people work on this plane and everybody has someone to go home to. And whether that is your family or friends, at the end of the day, everybody wants to come home. So we are not going to put anything forward that isn't entirely safe. WestJet really reflects Canadian values of caring and giving. And one of the things that comes to mind when I think of that is the, the Christmas miracle campaigns that you guys have done. And I don't know how you guys pulled this off. And I'd, I'd love for you to share and for any listeners that have not seen this yet, you should go and check it out. Any people who are looking at marketing, this is probably one of the biggest marketing, uh, I don't even want to call it a stunt, but a campaign. Like, Tell stunt. us how, you, how, how did you put this together? Because I, I looked this morning and you've got 50 million views on it. And it's funny because we've been doing them for a while. The first one was 2012. We decided we need to do a flash mob. And so we did one where uh, at the Calgary airport, at the end of the uh, A pier where all those gates uh, dead end, um, we turned that whole gate area into the North Pole in 60 seconds. And so we had all these people who looked like they were guests getting ready to travel when in fact they were our employees. And as soon as they ripped off their jackets, they were in the ugly Christmas sweaters. And then Santa arrives. We decided at that time that uh, our Santa would be blue because the, uh, the competition headquartered east of us is red, of course. And we said, uh, you know, I'll be damned if we're going to have a red Santa. So that was the first one, 2012. 2013 was the team came up with this idea to say, what if you could build this giant gift box um, in an airport with a video screen that would uh, connect you directly to Santa? So you could scan your boarding pass. Santa mm -hmm. would pop up. And of course, having scanned your boarding pass, we now know who you are. Meanwhile, there are people standing in that airport back to Santa's headquarters. And so they're feeding him information. And what was, I think, the most beautiful part of the whole stunt was that we had not set any expectations. So it wasn't, hey, talk to Santa and you could win or enter to do this. And it was quite simply a moment 
where you're waiting for the plane to board and the kids are bored or you're bored and you want to go over and talk to Santa, it's something to do. So you had this opportunity to speak with Santa and and pretty well everybody took us up on it. And it was just, it was just such a nice moment to say, well, Merry Christmas. I hope you, you know, you're going to see family. We just found, we just pulled all these stories. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to those people having the conversations with Blue Santa, we were now taking a list of, okay, well, that was so-and-so in 12D and they asked for X. We were off and running off to the shopping center to pick up all the gifts gifts, that people had asked for. We are now wrapping like mad and um, getting back to the airport to have all these gifts ready to go. So now you have everybody and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit Pavlovian that that buzzer goes and the belt starts turning. Everybody looks instinctively to see, is my luggage the first one coming off? And out comes a gift with a large bow on it and somebody's name. And then another gift and another gift. And then people realize, wait a minute, that's my name. And so as they start to open these gifts, this was a conversation they had had with Santa three (laughs) hours hours ago. ago, Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, oh my goodness. And then there was just some wonderful, wonderful moments that came out of it. There was one woman who, if you see her, she gets a digital camera and cries immediately. And so for them, they were actually in the Hamilton airport flying to Calgary and they were moving the entire family from Hamilton to Calgary. The kids are miserable. This is a high stress situation. And Mm -hmm. so she just says to the kids, go talk to Santa. At least it gives you something to take your mind off. She didn't talk to us at all. Yeah. Um, She, uh, as it turns out in the move, as they were packing boxes or whatever, if you can believe the one thing that they lose in the move is a digital camera. And so she's quite upset about this, but she have, they have no idea what they've done with it. And so complete coincidence, she opens up the gift that we have for her and it's a digital camera. And so you can't write this stuff. We knew this was, the, the team did excellent work and we knew the creative was, was wonderful. So we were thinking in the millions would be fair, 5 million views would be, would be fair. And it, it, uh, that morning um, that we actually released it, it skyrocketed. So it doubled for first three days, it doubled every day as more and more people started to watch it. And all of a sudden, you know, our our public relations team comes around the corner and the the one fellow says to me, can you do CNN at two o'clock? I'm like, what do you mean? Can I do, can I watch CNN? No, can you be on CNN? And so, you know, this little country that sleeps upstairs from the big giant down south to all of a sudden recognize that there were, um, you know, their big broadcast network or news network was looking to speak to us. Uh, and then it just started to go around the world. I love it when Canadians are doing things that get global recognition. And then we have other countries looking to us and taking cues. And I mean, I can only imagine how many other companies are are trying to replicate that. And, and the execution on that must have been incredible. But even before that, and I think there's there's a lot of people in companies that have these ideas. And like, if I imagine someone coming to me and saying, hey, we want to do exactly what you did. I would have to take a step back and like un- unravel and really look at that because on the outside, it looks like, it, it sounds like a crazy idea. H- how did you guys get this idea one within WestJet? So, you, you know, do you trust the people doing the work to do the work? And they came forward with the idea. We, we loved it. We gave, uh, we were given permission to, to and that's, that is part of the WestJet brand. If you're going to be this challenger brand, then you're going to try these, mm-hmm. um, these different things. And I go back to, you know, I started in 2005. We had never done anything to do with April Fool's. And so our first April Fool's actually predate, predates YouTube, where we actually just wrote a press release and the press release said that, you know, if you look at our planes, they've got little winglets at the end that stick straight up yep. at the end of the wings. And so we said that in conjunction with Boeing, we've now determined that if we can get the guests traveling on the plane to assume that position for takeoff, that 
actually improves fuel efficiency as well. And so we put it out as a press release and the National Post ran with it and recognized it for what it was. But we had people phoning in to say, you know, I'll be damned if I'm going to help you save money by standing or sitting like this for takeoff. And so we were off and running. And so giving this brand, it it is about fun. It can be an incredibly serious category um, or industry. But at the same time, so much of the, 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 the gravity and the seriousness of the industry is around the safety side of things, mm-hmm. which, is, which is exactly as it should be. Having said that, what we do is reunite people. And so the, the, the warmth and caring and wonderful moments that exist in those, um, you can have some, you can show caring and you can have fun with. And so when we say, hey, you know what, this brand given who we are, would probably do April Fool's jokes, we should do them. And so when you look at the marketing and communications that WestJet is doing, are you saying that this is really just expressing our culture in our marketing and in our communications? And if we want to say that as a company, we are, you know, part of our culture is about, you know, not taking ourselves too seriously and having fun, then we have to do these things. You took the words out of my mouth because that, that was one of the early mantras at WestJet, which was you can take the job seriously, but not yourself. And so that's um, interesting. Yeah. And so it had been very much this idea of absolutely take the job seriously, particularly given yeah, what it is. Lives on the line. Exactly. Um, but in terms of that customer service and that delivery piece and the from a brand perspective, how we express ourselves, air travel should be fun. I mean, so, you know, you said you're, you're in this chair in the sky um, as you travel. Uh, across the world, that is fun. And then when you get there, you're probably doing something fun. Mm-hmm. The expression of that fun through the WestJet culture has been, is, is the backbone of, of what's yeah. made us successful. Because at the end of the day, it's a, it's a commodity um, in, you know, in terms of this being yeah. this aluminum cylinder. But what we do is deliver the, that interaction with people better than, the, better than the competition. We've been talking a lot about marketing communications, but one of the ways that we've seen over the last two decades of generating demand from customers has been the rise of aggregators and you know travel websites and my background is you know we we co-founded skip the dishes which is a you know an aggregator of of restaurants and we've seen this now with expedia and booking.com and there's a lot of brands now that are in positions where they're working with a travel site or a food delivery website or an amazon you know even like ebay craigslist these are all marketplaces and platforms how does westjet look at these travel sites in terms of leveraging them and, and seeing them as an important part of the business and really, I guess, getting the most use out of them. Well, if you, even if you go pre-aggregators and just speak to bricks and mortar travel agents, the, the, the success, the early success and the continued success of WestJet is rooted in travel agents. Okay. It would have been very difficult for us to make it if we did not have the support and backing of the travel agent community across Canada from mm-hmm. the get-go. Some of that has now morphed into aggregators. So exactly that, that you now have these um, websites that pull content and um, and bring that together and offer it in a uh, in a convenient way for that consumer to understand, you know, I could go to three or four different websites for all these airlines or I can mm-hmm. find everything right here. So they serve an important role. And so we do work with them. They're an important partner um, of ours. But it does at that point then put us at a bit of an arm's length relationship with that consumer. So, yeah. you know, our responsibility is if that relationship with that traveler is owned by the travel agent, then any communication we do needs to be through that travel agent. So when we're, we're providing updates, it's going to be to the travel agent. And then that relationship is the one that's maintained with the uh, with the end consumer at the at the end of the day. They are an important part of the of the overall ecosystem and we yeah. work very well with them. You know, you mentioned they own the relationship. And I know that in many of the conversations I've had historically about 
you know, marketplaces and, you know, the brands that they work with, a lot of times there is this tension around who owns the customer, but you you mentioned that they own the relationship. Do you see it as, you know, depending on where that customer originates from as that defining the relationship? Or do you see it as, no, that they would, you know, let's say example, Expedia, they would own that customer. I mean, at the end of the day, that consumer has booked with them. So it is, it is their uh, customer. But where we, we, have bec- we are now such an on-demand world and you need up-to-the-date information. So for example, when you are checking in, mm-hmm. um, it helps us if you give us a mobile number so that we can actually text you gate information yeah. or aircraft information if there's been a delay, et cetera. So as much as it is still that relationship in the moment, we want to be able to communicate with you directly. That doesn't mean we're now trying to muscle out the aggregator. It's very much yeah. we will continue to uh, respect that relationship, um, but recognizing that we, it, you know, game day as it were, we're going to need to be able to get information to you quickly so that we can let you know what's, uh, what's going on. Got it. It's only really a matter of time before a brand will stumble and make a mistake. In my opinion, COVID-19 has been one of the biggest crises to hit airlines since 9-11 maybe. I, I was reading earlier, there, there was an issue around refunds. You guys did such a good job of coming out and just owning it and apologizing for it and then, and then kind of making good on it. Why do you think it's so difficult for brands to really do that? Well, I think we owned it as, be- as best we could and it's a uh, it's a remarkably complicated file. You at least spoke on it publicly and said, we understand the difficulty that this caused people and we apologize for that. And that's more than a lot of brands will do. Rarely is the time that there's not a, a media interview that we should not take. And you know, I could probably count on one hand and I wouldn't need all my fingers to say, here are the exceptions to that rule. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the general public has a right to know what's going on. And um, we are a high profile brand in a high profile industry that everybody follows and everybody um, yeah. armchair quarterbacks to some degree. Um, so we have to be forthright and I do believe what we need to be out there. So I think, you know, back to what's in the way is the way we're going to lead with our chin and and you have to go out and, and, and yeah. take your lumps. Yeah. And sometimes as a leader, you're just given the choice between two pretty terrible options and it really just comes down to how you take care of them. Listen, Richard, I, I've been a huge fan of what you guys have been doing. Thank you. Running an incredibly challenging business with Grace through a very, very challenging time. Uh, Some of the work you guys have done over the years has been nothing short of remarkable building a global brand headquartered here in Calgary. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. I I appreciate you. I'm grateful for you coming here. Where can people uh, follow you? Where can people find you? So I'm R. Bartram. So it's on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, you'll find me at R. Bartram and then LinkedIn and Facebook. It's just who I am, Richard Bartram. Um, but I do, I do want to thank you for using the plural because it's, it, this isn't me. This is a terrific team. Uh, and I am just, uh, I've been given the good fortune to lead a, a, a terrifically dynamic team that over the years that I have been here, have uh, we've had more than our fair share of home runs. And uh, I'm terrifically grateful for that. I'm one of the people who have appreciated the fact that things are starting to open and we can now be reunited again. And as a WestJet customer, I, I really appreciate everything you've done. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.